Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. I've been holding out for years that NASA would come clean and say, yes, there are ruins of an ancient civilization on the planet Mars. It's not going to happen anytime soon simply because they are paranoid. We don't know what their objectives are, and they would like to tell us that uh, there are the billion dollars in money spent on rovers are for research, for eventual manned missions to Mars. But let me tell you, we've known, they've known, and today we're going to hear from scientists that there is excellent evidence for ancient ruins of a civilization on the planet Mars. Today, my guests are a group of scientists who spoke with me back in 2016 and discussed their opinions, their expertise, and why they believe that Mars is home to ancient artifacts, ancient ruins, and why we need to really take a look at it and reveal this information. All this on Earth Ancients Special Edition, The Archives. Monday, February 13th, 2023, this is Earth Ancients, Special Edition, The Archives. I'm your host, Cliff Dunning. going to be a fun one today. I have pulled a archival recording that was done in December of 2016. It includes Dr. John Brandenburg, a plasma physicist, author of Death on Mars, Dr. Mark Carlotto, who uh, has written a number of books on Mars, and the director of the Cydonia Institute, that is George Haas, and they all came together 
It's a longer interview. I decided not to sh- uh, shave any of it off. I have a, a, a solid count. I just looked at it as two complete hours with um, two commercial breaks, just to give you a breather. The information, I mean, this is a very matter-of-fact interview uh, with these gentlemen, a panel discussion, I should call it. And it, it's a very matter-of-fact these guys have uh, looked at the data all the way back to the Viking uh, satellite uh, array, which uh, the first Viking was launched and arrived at uh, on Mars in uh, June 1976, uh, imaging satellite. That satellite imaged the surface and came back with not only pyramids, but the what looked like the remains of a city and, of course, the most famous Uh, image of them all is the face on Mars, which later uh, NASA uh, said is is a a trick of light. And they have done everything they can to claim that it is uh, nothing but a group of mountains. (laughs) Uh, Following Viking 1, Viking 2 was launched in August and arrived in 19... 76. So that one also came up pretty close. They were all launched around the same time. And then the Russians launched and sent a satellite to the Phobos, which is the moon, Phobos, the orbiting moon. It was called Phobos 2. And we don't talk about Phobos, but the Phobos incident, there was an earlier satellite that mysteriously disappeared as it was imaging uh, the the moon Phobos, so they set up another satellite Phobos two, and it came back with some very interesting anomalies on the surface of this uh, what is thought to be a naturally occurring moon. But our our focus today is on this uh, twenty sixteen uh, panel discussion with these experts because they were all part of a, a SETI group. Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence, formed by Richard Hoagland. And Richard Hoagland came out with a book in the late 90s called The Monuments of Mars. And it is a detailed analysis of uh, planetary science imaging experts. I mean, he collected a group of top-notch scientists and research investigators and together went over these images with a fine-tooth comb. And to a man and a few women, they conclusively present solid evidence for not only artificiality of pyramids, uh, buildings, and uh, what are considered massively large faces. Now, one of the things that's interesting about this interview is there's not just one massive face that's identified. And when I say massive, it's a mile and a half long by a uh, half a mile wide. It's huge. Dr. Brandenburg introduced two or possibly three additional faces, about half the size of the main face in Cydonia, Mars. And he writes about them in his book. And, you know, it's very matter of fact. It's matter of fact. And it's it's these guys are are scientists, so they're not like thinking. Well, NASA's got to come clean. Their feeling is that at some point they're just going to have to come clean because 
either the Chinese or 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 another country is going to launch a rover on Mars, and and NASA is going to be outed. They're going to be exposed for the for the cover up. And you know uh, how many billions of dollars? And this drives me nuts. How many billions of dollars are we spending on rovers to pick up micro uh, microbes to pick up evidence of water or other evidence of life of some kind you know when when this rover is doing this they could easily either land it uh, land another rover or direct the rovers they have on mars and i don't know how many are working i think it might be one or two are still working direct them to some of these areas that are that have ruins and you know let's see what's going on there but you know they're, they're afraid and remember and this goes for current events with the UAP, Unidentified Aerial Phenomenon uh, situation. NASA is afraid of the reaction of the public. And they're still beholden to this document that was anal- uh, written in, in 1960, basically saying that if we hear, if we have knowledge of a alien contact or have first conduct that we're all going to lose our mind. People are going to commit suicide. Uh, 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 religions are going to go belly up and people are going to go crazy. Well, I don't know. I I, I can't believe that's true. And I, I just think NASA, as a as an entity, a governmental en- entity, is, is uh, backwards. They're backwards. So... When this Brookings Institute document was created, no, they wanted to know how people would react. And in 1960, yeah, people would probably freak out. People would probably go nuts. But today, we got so much in our face. I think I was reading the other day that in the last five years, there have been over 26,000, 26,000 UFO, UAP sightings in the United States, in the continental United States. And that is one hell of a lot of sightings. Now, those can be satellites. It can be, you know, planes and things like that, that are, their lights are on, things like that. But a, a huge portion of those are unexplained. And this has to stop. This cover-up has to stop. This deception has to stop. The paranoia has to stop. And rather than asking theologians, and I talk about this a lot, rather than asking religious leaders, priests, rabbis, pastors, whoever, what they think people would react to, how they would react, talk to people in the social media. Talk to the, the, the uh, movers and shakers of, of social media. Talk, about, talk to the influencers. You know, Elon Musk has said that, you know, that he believes in, in other worlds. He believes in aliens. Why don't you ask him to get on stage and talk about this stuff? Quit asking out-of-touch institutions. Our institutions, governmental institutions, are out of touch with the common man. Uh, and right now, we got these uh, ships that are unidentifiable we we know the chinese are uh, sending balloons across northern uh, north america uh one is was shot down over montana 
Another one was shot down in Canada. And there's two others that are found. And I guess they were shot down too. One of the objects was metallic. And now there's some articles that are coming out questioning if these are alien or not, if these are UAPs. I don't think our off-world types are going to stand still for a, a sidewinder missile. And if they're a few hundred to many thousands a year, years in advance of us, there are, there are machines, their flying uh, craft are going to be much, much more sophisticated than just sitting there like a sitting duck. So I'm doubtful that they're off-world types of uh, vehicles. I'm, I'm, it's more likely they're Chinese or Russian that we don't know about. I mean, if those objects that were shot down are are off-world, I would really, really be curious about it. And you know what? We won't hear about it. <laughs> if it's a UAP with, with uh, beings that were in that craft and they were shot down, we will not hear about it. So anyhow... It's sure bringing up a lot of interest, though. I mean, there's so many articles right now about unidentified flying objects. Uh, what if we are, you know, being visited by uh, other worlds? I kind of like it in a way. But today's program focuses on this very, very important interview. I've been fascinated in uh, the ruins of Mars since the mid 1980s when I was a conference program director here in here in San Francisco and we had Richard Hoagland on a number of times we had other scientists uh, that were talking about uh, Mars we had one Czechoslovakian uh, physicist who uh, actually had parts from what he believed was a downed UFO and he had done uh, independent research on uh, what he thought were uh, UFOs. And his opinion on Mars was also very, very insightful. So uh, this is not a, a, a new topic. And I don't know what to say about Mars and uh, the United States Government Space Command. You know, uh, obviously, they're paranoid that if it came out that there are ships from other worlds visiting Earth, you know, people are going to go, well, what are you doing about it? And, they, you know, it's obvious that they can't do anything about it. These ships are so fast, are so far ahead of our propulsion systems and our physics and our technology and science that they, they, they're very paranoid. What is their threat? I mean, they, they don't think about, hey, hi, how are you? Can we talk? No, they're like, threat. What's the threat assessment? Quickly. Should we shoot them down? Well, I think <laughs> these guys just shoot first and ask questions later, you know? So, and how how do you, uh, how do our off-world types look at that? How, you know, do they think, you know, we want to try to communicate with earthlings, but... Jesus Christ, the current environment for first contact is pretty hair-raising, you know. I mean, if I was coming from another planet and I wanted to communicate, I would probably send some kind of signal first and, you know, try to communicate by radio and then take steps 
to land a ship and come out and <laughs> meet meet with uh, the heads of state, <laughs> meet with Biden or or these other guys. So anyhow, today is the ruins of Mars. My guests are Mark Carlotto, Dr. Mark Carlotto, Dr. John Brandenburg, and George Haas from the Cydonia Institute. This is an extended program, and when I say that, it's two hours. And really listen to what these guys are saying, because they've been studying this phenomenon with the latest tools for, for a long, long time. So, enjoy. It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at MIDI Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That was the introduction music for a movie called Mission to Mars that was directed by Brian De Palma. And that was released in 2000. The movie 
is the story of a United States that sent a manned space program to the planet of Mars. What was unique about that movie was that not only did they get onto the surface, they discovered ruins, and they discovered a massive ruin that they actually entered. And inside that ruin, they found technology, they found information, and ultimately a three-dimensional projection was presented where they actually met the, the, the former inhabitants, Martians. And I thought that was quite unique because, to my mind, that is kind of uh, an accumulation of the research that had been done in the late 80s uh, by a number of research scientists, by people who had discovered that the planet of Mars not only had amazing geology, it also had archaeology. And we do know now that in 1976, uh, an unusual image was discovered on the uh, surface of Mars, and that's known now as the face on Mars. And, you know, did these screenwriters pick up all this information? We, I, I think they did. I mean, the Viking satellite was the uh, uh, collector of amazing surface features. They, they fa- found amazing uh, ancient structures, a pyramid, uh, a face, a number of buildings that are on a massive scale. Uh, I think the face is estimated to be over a mile long by a half mile wide. And what, what is it about Mars? Why is Mars so fascinating? Today, the United States, NASA, has sent not only uh, satellites, but rovers and probes. The European Space Agency, ESA, has sent uh, satellites, uh, Soviet Union, the Chinese and Indian uh, nation has sent satellites. But the Americans, NASA, has spent billions of dollars and uh, <clears throat> continues to spend billions of dollars uh, exploring the planet. For the most part, NASA tells us there's geology, wonderful geology. Uh, they, they tell us about an ocean that was there. We now have confirmed that there's water wonderful ge- uh, geology to uh, expand on, but why are they not telling us what has been discovered, which I believe is, I don't know if you want to say a cover-up, but something's very odd uh, in the fact that numerous scientists, numerous research, research investigators have discovered what appears to be entire cities, pyramid complexes, built on a massive scale, when uh, confronted with this evidence uh, of ancient archaeology, NASA denies this, claims it's just a trick of light. Why are they telling us this? Why, uh, with uh, the evidence in their face from scientists, research investigators, uh, they, they claim that uh, they're uh, misguided, and it's very odd. I find it just very, very strange. So today's programs is the ruins of Mars. And I have with us today on a panel three distinguished individuals who will tell us their impressions, their research, and why they believe there is artificial structures on Mars. My first guest today is George Haas. George is the founder of the Mars Research Group, the Sedoni Institute. His research encompasses over 20 years of study and analysis of NASA, 
ESA uh, photographs of the surface of Mars, and uh, he's done great work. Uh, his website's fantastic. Uh, he's also the author of The Martian Codex, More Reflections from Mars, and Cydonia Complex, Reflections from Mars. Welcome, George. Cliff, thanks for having me on this uh, uh, day here to, to discuss uh, some of these uh, strange anomalies that we're seeing on Mars. I'm glad to have you. I guess my next guest is Dr. Mark Carlotto. Mark is an imaging, imaging scientist uh, with over 30 years of experience in satellite remote sensing and digital imaging processing. His first book, The Martian Enigmas, describes in detail his analysis of the images on the face and other unusual objects on the surface of Mars. I just discovered that uh, Mark also wrote a book called Cydonia, The Cydonia uh, Controversy, which I just started reading last night, and uh, just a fantastic piece of work. Mark, welcome to the program. Thanks a lot, Cliff. Glad to be here. Great, great, great you could join us. And uh, many of you remember our next guest, uh, Dr. John Brandenburg. John is a plasma physicist uh, working as a consultant with uh, Morningstar Applied Physics. He's also a teacher at, uh, on astronomy, physics, and mathematics at Madison College in Madison, Wisconsin. And he's the author of Life and Death on Mars. And, John, it's great to have you back. Oh, it's, it's always great to be here, Cliff. And uh, it's such an honor to be here with uh, George and especially Mark Car Carlotto, who was really the chief imaging um, scientist for the whole Cydonia investigation uh, after yes. uh, Vince DiPietro and uh, Greg Molinar got it going. Right. Now, I want to uh, let our uh, audience know that uh, all three of our guests today are from the Society of Planetary SETI Research, SPSR, uh, which was formed by uh, Stan McDaniels, Dr. Stanley McDaniels, uh, a number of years ago, and uh, they all continue their work. So, fantastic that you all could be here. Mark, I want to start with you. It's such a pleasure to have you on this program. I, I don't think our audience quite understands what an image specialist is. It's a highly specialized uh, discipline. And I wonder if you could, could uh, describe your work and how you interpret uh, satellite imagery. I think that would be a great starting point. Well, image interpretation uh, has a long history. Uh, it goes back to um, the first cameras and people flying in balloons and looking down and taking pictures and, you know, of course, the technology's gotten a lot more sophisticated, but, you know, when you have people looking at images, um, images of, of uh, things that are unfamiliar, uh, sometimes illuminated in unfamiliar ways, there are certain rules of image interpretation. And so the art and science of image interpretation is pretty, you know, it's pretty mature. Um, so there are people that have a lot of expertise in looking at pictures and interpreting what they see. That's actually not what I do. What I do is I develop algorithms that try to do that automatically. So um, my, my day job is to find, uh, sort of generically speaking, to find man-made objects in terrestrial images. So given an image of, you know, thousands of square kilometers, find you know, flying the military vehicles, for example. And right. um, so 
So with that comes a whole mathematical approach. It tends to be less subjective and more, you know, mathematical or quantitative. Okay. So, so let's that's how, get right yeah, to so it. That's how uh, I, I mean, you, go ahead. Yeah, so, so you know, there's, there's two approaches. There's sort of a visual interpretation, and then there's trying to get a machine to do it. And right. to get a machine to do it, you, there, you know, there's a couple of ways of doing that. You, you know, sometimes you start from first principles. And, you know, uh, now machine learning is really popular. You know, you just take uh, what you're, whatever you're looking for, you train a convolutional neural network, and you give it thousands of images, and it finds, finally learns how to, you know, find what you're looking for. The approaches I took, I, I take in my work, and I applied to Mars involve using specific t- techniques like fractal models or shape from shading, um, right. things like that. Um, okay. So, yeah, you, you made a good point. So a satellite will, will take a picture of the ground and and uh, what most of, most of us might see as a, a square box, you can recognize that it might be a tank and you can enhance that using your uh, algorithms and other software applications. So, so that's basically a, a, a primer for, for your work. Let's get into what Richard Hoagland uh, presents in his book, The Monuments of Mars, when he, he basically references you everywhere in that book, which I found was quite interesting. When, when did you begin to take notice uh, that this uh, object in Cydonia, known as the face, was very unusual and perhaps completely artificial? Was it like the first time you looked at it, it was like, wait a minute, something's going on there? Yeah, it was a, it was a cold winter day in Boston. Uh, I don't think I had long johns on. Uh, <laughs> Imagine that. But I was, and he was but having was some calamine tea. <laughs> uh, I was reading the Boston Globe, and there was a, an article, um, <coughs> and it was uh, I traced it to uh, a group operating in the Bay Area, where you are now. And um, I met a number of people uh, over time, uh, over a several month period of time, including uh, including Dick Hoagland. Um, originally, um, I, I contacted them in order to get some data tapes that had the um, the Viking images. The gentleman's name was Tom Rautenberg, and he he had made copies of the tapes and he was distributing them to various researchers. And uh, so I started looking at this uh, after hours on my in, in my. Uh, uh, while I was working, you know, my day job back then, I was working for a company called Task in the Boston area, and um, and so you know, I, I looked at these images and it was like, wow, I, you know, I, I didn't remember, you know, I was around in 1976. That was our our bicentennial, right? Mm-hmm. And um, I remember Viking, but I didn't remember anything like this. And uh, it was, I was immediately. Um, uh, you know, fascinated by what I was looking at because the, you know, the impression of the face and of these pyramidal structures and the complex and the alignments, it was just so striking how anyone could, you know, not say there's something here uh, mm-hmm. was just beyond me. And so that drew me into the investigation. It was the, it was the controversy. It was like, you know, the planetary community was so sure that it wasn't artificial. And then you had this group of independent researchers in the Bay Area that were saying, hey, you know, it's, it's unusual. There's a lot of different criteria we can apply. And 
And, uh, you know, from looking at it from a lot of different angles, and it's really unusual. And um, so that, that controversy drew me in. Okay. John, what, what was your first point of uh, contact in viewing these, um, these early images by Viking and the, the face on Mars? When did, when did you kind of say, um, hey, there's something going on here? It happened at a here. peculiar time. In my, well, it was a cold day in Albuquerque, New Mexico. <laughs> the middle of the day after Christmas, and um, I, I, I had um, taken a job at a government laboratory. We were doing electron beam weapons, and I had formerly worked on fusion energy. So I was kind of in shock at the fact that here I was now working on weapon systems, where before I had worked on energy for humanity and. So I was looking for something positive to focus on, and I wanted to write a science fiction novel about Mars, a Mars colony. And so then there was this program that said, uh, you know, Face on Mars. And I, I thought this would be something like Flash Gordon's, uh, you know, Trip to Mars or something like this. Was, uh, you know, I, 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 was, I, I looked on it as something festive to occupy my mind during Christmas vacation. And instead, here's the Petro and Molinar presenting their two very good images of the face, complete with enhancement, false color, and and they didn't even mention the pyramid. But I had just been reading about the pyramids of Elysium the day before in Carl right. Sagan's book uh, Cosmos, and so I was just stunned. And I I must also say that. This happened right. You've never been through an international crisis till you're at a nuclear weapons lab and go through yeah. an international crisis. You have people walking around who are dying of stress because they are some part of the national command chain for nuclear weapons release, and you right. can see them just basically kind of dying inside as the crisis goes on. And I went through those at Sandia and at Livermore. So we had just gone through uh, the nuclear winter, which was discovered by because of a dust storm on Mars. Hmm. And so a wave of depression went through the laboratory where I worked that no one would survive a nuclear war. People told me how desperate that made them feel. Who, you know, I was working down the hall from these people, and they would tell me over lunch that they said, oh, I used to think if there was a nuclear war, I'd go home and get the wife and kids, and we'd head for the hills. This one guy said, now I'm just going to get up on my rooftop with a six-pack of beer and watch the whole thing go. That's mm. the mentality that was in our nuclear weapons lab where I was working on directed energy weapons just mm. prior to this um, program appearing. So it's very much kind of trying to focus on something positive, something otherworldly. And then on came DePietro Molinar. So I contacted them, and I was just, I felt full of excitement because I thought, you know, if we find a dead civilization on Mars, it'll end the Cold War. It'll, it'll turn the human race consciousness outward from the earth rather than this Mexican standoff we're involved in. Mm-hmm. And, and I had a, you know, I had a four-year-old daughter at the, you know, she was four years old. And I remember tucking her into bed thinking, okay, she's going to grow up and face a nuclear war because we found a dead civilization on Mars. Because mm-hmm. I, I when to me, I simply connected the dots immediately. I thought this face looks artificial. The pyramids of Elysium look artificial. Bingo. 
Yeah. And I then I contacted Molinar and I mean DePietro and Molinar, and they told me about Dick Hoagland's investigation. And I had kind of a moment of truth. I mean, here I was a young young scientist at a government lab, trying to start my career. I had, in fact, I'd had to change careers from doing energy fusion energy research, of plasma physics to directed energy weapons um, mm-hmm. research. And I remember just weighing all the things that could happen to me. And then I decided, no, I'm going to do it because I want my daughter. I want, if there's a chance that this will end the Cold War, I'm going to take it. So what you're saying is you you came out to say basically that you believe there's artificial structures on Mars. Yes. Publicly. Publicly. So you you Oh, absolutely. Yes. I, uh, and, uh, you know, and I knew that uh, this could could negatively impact my career, but I decided... To pass up a chance to make a discovery like that at such a crucial time in human history, where our very futures were were hanging by a thread, and I, by the way, I did not know at the time, but we had actually gone through a secret nuclear weapons scare in Europe called Abel Archer. Mm-hmm. We came as close to a nuclear war as in the Cuban Missile Crisis, but it was kept secret. Uh, basically, mm-hmm. NATO held a war exercise. And the Russians thought it was a preempt. They were we were going to do a first strike. Interesting. They thought this was a Trojan horse exercise. So, and we mm. didn't even know that. But there was this sense of urgency that myself and my other colleagues in the Dick Hoagland investigated um, investigation felt that, that we had to do something to change the dialogue, the course of the dialogue mm-hmm. on Earth. Interesting. And so we uh, very quickly verified that the Petro and Molinar had done ex- superb imaging work. I mean, they were both imaging science. They were both electrical engineers. They'd done a great job. And uh, <laughs> they were very careful to copyright everything. So what was wonderful was Mark came along and just did the images and just released them every place. <laughs> he yeah. didn't care about copyright. Well, so that, let me ask his Mark, images were the point. ones that got circulated. What's that? Right. I, I, let's let's go to Mark right now because that's my next Absolutely. question. Mark did excellent work on uh, this uh, the Petri Molinar pyramid, the DNM pyramid as it's known. And yes. right off the bat, Mark uh, Richard in his book Monuments of Mars really references that pyramid quite a bit. Can you talk a little bit about what makes it artificial? Because from high level, you know, the casual observer sees that it is, it is very delineated in terms of its corners. It's a very unusual pyramid, but what it makes it artificial in your mind? Well, in this, you know, I can address the DNM uh, specifically, but let me start off by saying that I think all of these objects, um, first of all, they're, 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 they're so different from anything we've, we've experienced that the scale of these objects is so much larger than anything on earth. They're, you know, fractions of a, you know, almost a mile across in some cases. Um, Mm. so they're huge structures in Viking, uh, the imagery by today's standards, the, the, the Viking imagery is fairly low resolution. So, and the sun angles were low and, 
these are really perfect conditions for viewing this, this, this type of structure, and it really stood out as being artificial. Now, when you, you know, looked at, you know, more recent uh, high-rise or more uh, global surveyor uh, themeless images of some of these objects, they, they lose that quality because you're looking really close up. You're looking at the, you know, you're not looking at the forest, you're looking at the trees now. And <laughs> yes. what... What, and what happens, um, you know, you've mentioned, um, you know, your trips um, to Central America, and I've been to Egypt, and, you know, you see these ancient uh, structures on Earth, and you're struck by, uh, first of all, by their age and how they, you know, they're recognizable, but clearly they're, they're degraded. You know, on Earth we yeah. have erosional and depositional processes, Mm-hmm. Uh, that affect things, and we same thing is true on Mars, not on the Moon, uh, but on Mars. And the effect of this is that over long time scales, um, the details become obliterated. And so, uh, over very long time scales, what's left is the gross structure. So when you okay. step back, you know, look at low resolution of the pyramid, the face, they look like pyramids and faces. When you look closer they don't look as artificial. And so right. some, you know, the planetary community's response to that is, well, okay, clearly these are just natural formations. Right. However, if you look, if you go to Egypt and look at some really old structures, um, they are almost indistinguishable from the background geology. And you get to okay. this point where as natural objects become degraded, uh, eroded, and affected by weathering over the years, they start looking like geology again. And okay. this, I believe, is the case with these objects in Cydonia. Now, the, the DNM has this unusual five-sided shape to it, and it has a similarity in shape um, to other uh, formations in that Cydonia complex, as it's been mm-hmm. uh, termed. This is a collection of features south uh, southwest of the face. Um, and, and the same thing can be true of the face. You know, again, in Viking, it was very striking, but in Mars Global Surveyor, that first image taken with the light coming from underneath, I remember getting a, a phone call from John and Vince that night that uh, <laughs> we're, we're, we're going out and getting drunk. We, we, we've, seen, uh, we've seen enough. But as it turns out, it was, you know, looking at it that way, it's really very predictable that it would look mm-hmm. the way it did. And, oh, you know, it wasn't Mark, very, Mark, very... That was a psyop. You know, they deliberately took a picture at an oblique angle and unfamiliar lighting just to throw everybody off. And then they released it to the public in a distorted uh, fashion without having... Oh, absolutely. Right, I mean, left. The right. whole thing Right, was, left, yeah. reversed. Yeah. And uh, they, they, they didn't pro- contrast such. It was the poorest quality picture released from Mars since maybe Mariner 4. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Hey, George, George what, is, what is your impression of why they would take a, such a poor photograph? Is that because they want to take people off the scent? Uh, yeah, I, that was my thoughts. And, you know, they did have the rectified image on their website, but, you know, like you're discussing this program today, you know, average citizen doesn't have the inclination to go onto the NASA website and look for it. I mean, this is right. back in 1998 when, uh, you know, the case was closed. I mean, CNN, they were, you know, laughing at the picture. You know, it didn't look like anything. Right. Well, they, right. 
distorted and they, stretched they out. They waited until everyone had to file their stories. They had a whole room full of journalists. We're not talking scientists. We're talking journalists waiting yeah. for the big picture, the yeah, big money closed. shot. Yeah. Yep. So they so, chummed uh, them. Mark, I want I want you to continue with this DNM analysis because yes, I yes. find that this pyramid not only is it massive, but when I first saw that image, to me, and I'm a trained artist, I went to college and everything like that. To my mind, there there is uh, uh, there is intelligent intent in it in, in its construction. Obviously, when I mean something that's a mile. I'm just going to say roughly a mile across. It is a monstrous undertaking. And um, uh, is there any way for you to determine um, uh, what it might have looked like when it was completed uh, based on whatever superstructures are left? So, so the DNM uh, looks like uh, it. The structure of the DNM is similar to uh, other structures. Uh, again, this is at a very sort of gross level um, to other right. structures in the Cydonia complex. There's, there's actually a feature called that that uh, they call it called the fort, and right. you can actually show yeah. by registering the fort with some of these other pyramidal objects that their overall uh, footprint is very similar. And the foreign almost looks like it could have been a pyramid that collapsed. In other words, imagine a, a pyramidal mm. structure and mm. it collapsed and it sunk, sinks down, and so you're left with sort of like walls. Okay. Um, and 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 so what's striking to me is not uh, so much the specific uh, geometry, which is which is intriguing. And and uh, geologists and independent geologists by the name of Errol Torin has done some great work looking at the different factors that could be re- could have been responsible for its creation, and found that there was no really compelling natural explanation uh, for the DNM. Mm-hmm. So so you have that, and then you have you know the DNM and the um, I forget there was a, another sort of shorthand term for this other pyramid in the complex and in the fort. And you have these things that are about the same size, sort of similar shapes. Sim- they seem to have sort of a similar orientation alignment. They're, there's, mm-hmm. they're, you know, and then, then, you know, of course, uh, Dick Hoagland uh, speculated that this alignment might, might somehow be related to, um, to an equinox um, alignment on Mars, um, you know, okay. so many, uh, was a half a million years ago, something like that. Um, right. So it's, again, these sort of repetitive patterns. <clears throat> and I know George is interested in these repetitive patterns, too. It's kind of a common thing, you know, um, that you start seeing sort of something that's unusual, but it happens over and over again that seems a little out of place. Right. Um, it's exactly. a way of approaching things from a kind of a more of a, like an anomaly. So you you know you sort of look at the scene and say these things don't look normal. You know they're anomalous. And then right. You know I don't really know what they are, but what you know so you kind of approach it that way. Uh, and, uh, George, uh, I, I'm interested in in what you have to say regarding the so you formed the Cydonia Institute. I don't know 20 years ago or more. And when you look at Cydonia. Uh, you look at it uh, as a uh, a floor plan or a or a, a map of a city, don't you? I mean, it's it's if you 
if you look at how these different structures are laid out, uh, the face, the DNM pyramid, the fort, and, and a number of other smaller buildings and structures that are in that area, it's, it's a city that's been laid out, isn't it? Yeah, you can see the intelligent design way everything is placed. And if, you know, my background studying Mesoamerican cultures, uh, looking at the, the complexes that the Maya built uh, where things are aligned, and there are also, which is interesting, other uh, Mesoamerican uh, cities uh, which have these complexes where there's no alignment. It looks, if you look at aerial views of some of these temples, it looks like they're just haphazardly built. It doesn't. It goes totally against the whole idea where um, Hoagland had noticed that everything was aligned at Sidonia. So you can, you know, have evidence to support both ends. Uh, but what attracted me to this originally was, um, you know, which. Um, as uh, Mark and uh, Dr. Brandenburg stated, it started for me on a warm summer afternoon, and I was looking at uh, you know television and heard about the face on Mars, and I was living in New Jersey, and uh, you know it, it made the the television, and I had never heard it. That was the of course the bicentennial. I graduated high school in 1976, so this happened that summer, mm-hmm. and uh, so I was like 18, 19 years old. And I never heard anything again about it for years until um, right. in the late, teen, uh, the late 1980s uh, when I found out about Richard Hoagland's book. And uh, that was just before the, um, the Mars Observer was going to Mars to, to take new pictures of the face on Mars and clear this up once and for good. But right. it never made it to good. the planet. Yeah. Excuse me? What was that? Oh, I think John was just... Uh, uh, I was just saying, yeah, they were yeah. saying... we're. Yeah. Mike Malin, in particular, was saying, "We're gonna, we're gonna show you guys. We're gonna put this thing to bed for good." Yeah. Right, but the Mars Observer <laughs> never made uh, contact with the, the, it never orbited, so uh, that was lost. And yep. right. um, so I had gotten very interested in this, and I bought uh, Richard Hoagland's book, and I picked up uh, Molinaire's uh, information, and um, so the Sedona Institute started in probably around 1991, and we've been researching okay. this ever since. Good, excellent. Um, excellent. I want to ask each of you this this uh, to uh, give me your feeling on this next question. We'll start with you, uh, Mark. Given what we know today about the relative age of what I'll call pyramid cultures—the Egyptians, the Maya, some cultures in South America, Peru. Uh, Karol is the most well known that I can think of, which is a pyramid culture. Um, the oldest of these dates. Uh, let's just say 15, uh, 12 to 15,000. I, I think that um, there's even more speculation from people like um, Mark, uh, uh, excuse me, um, John West on the Sphinx, and the date of that could be 20 plus, maybe 50,000 uh, years. When you consider this, the great age of some of these uh, Earth based structures, what can we say about Sidonia and some of these other areas in terms of age? And, and Mark, I'll start with you. In the uh, late, mid to late 90s, um, I, I hooked up with uh, uh, Baval and Hancock and West, uh, did a few conferences with them, and became very interested in the you know, Mars terrestrial connections and 
you know, learned a number of things, a number of, of cultural references to Mars uh, in, in the Egyptian um, in Egypt, Egyptian myths and symbols, and saw that you know perhaps the face could have fit into a a a puzzle, uh, you know, where you know the, the face on Mars was the Martian analog of the Sphinx on Earth, and the pyramids, of course, <laughs> and the pyramids. You know that there were that were similarities. In fact, at the end of the Sidonia con- controversy, uh, I uh, actually get into some of those speculations. And you know, I, in fact, I you know I was thinking, yeah, perhaps this these alignments, uh, these these coincidences or correlations, maybe they didn't occur half a million years ago, uh, like uh, Tikhonov had said, but maybe they were more recent. And I looked at the at the um, obliquity model um, published by Ward, um, and it shows that you know there are, there are other possible uh, uh, alignments that could have occurred more uh, more recently. Uh, alignments. This is the uh, the equinox uh, sunset. I'm sorry, the summer solstice um, right. sunset uh, on Mars. I was saying equinox before. I meant to say the uh, solstice. Um, and you know, so I was, I was thinking, yeah, maybe it's it's much more recent. But you look at, you know, and as you look at more and more of these images from Mars, and you see the the weathering and the uh, degradation, um, the state of these structures. Um, that we never found the, uh, you know, the the pile of machine parts and the construction site. You know, the things that. I remember Mike Malin saying, you know, if there are uh, artificial objects on Mars, there'll be, you know, there'll be the things that go with them, like the construction sites and the roads and the, you know, all these other things, you know, that you, that you find on Earth. But if these things are ancient, you know, uh, incredibly ancient, uh, and, mm-hmm. you know, like I said earlier, over time, weathering has the effect of destroying the smaller the smaller things. So all these things, all the subtle, all these other, you know, things that you would expect to find are gone. You're only left these big degraded structures. So as I thought about it more and more, it's, you know, and over the years, I I think that if these structures uh, are artificial on Mars, they are incredibly ancient. Uh, They go Mm -hmm. back, uh, you know, hundreds of millions, billions of years uh, to a time when Mars, Mars did have water. Um, so hundreds of not, hundreds you know, of millions of years old. You're saying hundreds of millions, billions. I mean, you know, if you go back to when they thought there was oh lots God. of water on Mars, it was a long time ago. Wow. Um, but you know, and then this gets into the whole thing about you know the evolution of, of of man and life, the origin of life on Earth, and you know, there's a, there's a lot of speculation about this, but there's only one data point: the Earth. Instead of, mm-hmm. you know, all this stuff about exobiology, it's all pure speculation. And so we really don't know. We need that second data point. And so I think as scientists, we have to be as open-minded as possible because if, we, if we're not, we're going to miss that, that second data point. Because it, be, it may be subtle. It may not be what we're, exactly what we're looking for, what we expect. Mm-hmm. And perhaps we'll find that on Mars. Um, but, I, yes, I think they're, they're incredibly ancient structures. Wow. Okay. John, what do you say? Oh, uh, Mark's uh, points are very well taken. Um, you know, when, when a human being looks at, like, a face, it 
basically says, has it got two eyes, it's got a nose, it's got a mouth, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And it doesn't look for the fine details. It only looks at that later. And so, in a sense, the Viking images were perfect for additional identification. But if you look at any archaeology on Earth close up, it, it looks rubbleized. I mean, you look at the Sphinx. They've touched up the Sphinx. Um, yeah. You know, when the Sphinx was originally uh, became a tourist attraction, it really looked terrible. Its nose had mm-hmm. been shot off. You know, it's um, it had um, sustained yeah. an enormous amount of damage. And, Heavily eroded. You know, so, so if you look, if you look, focus in on one little part of the Sphinx, all you're going to see is rubble. The same with the pyramids. So you have to basically. Uh, gauge, uh, as, as Mark does, uh, look for a certain correlation set of features at a certain size scale, a certain kind of wavelength, spatial wavelength. And that's where you make, make, sure, make your analysis. I view the fact that the things are the pyramid, the face, and by the way, the pyramid is like five kilometers from the face. They're, if you show a picture of frame 7813 taken for Viking, that's enhanced, all, it's, it's, you, you immediately conclude you're looking at a site of civilization because here's a face and here's a pyramid right next to it, and they, line, you know, they, they look like they're aligned with each other. And so I look on the erosion, on the, on the heavy erosion on the face and the uh, pyramid, as is seen in the, new, in the latest pictures, as evidence that, yes, Mars... This dates from a time when Mars climate was similar to Earth because there's heavy erosion. The same okay. processes, the same conditions on Earth that allow human life, allow people to build civilizations and monuments, also destroy those monuments in time. Right. So your estimate, so, so, estimation for age is what? Oh, about 200 million years ago. Oh Incredibly God. ancient. I just can't. Terms. I mean, it's so hard for me to conceive uh, uh, both Mark and John your your estimates on those ages because it's so inconceivable when we relate it to Earth history. Earth. Oh, I I know. There, in, yeah. in my opinion, in my opinion, yeah. scientifically, yeah. there is no connection, except maybe a psychic one, between Earth civilization and the Mars uh, the Mars civilization phenomenon. They are two okay. separate biological entities. I, I, I happen to kind of believe in the Jungian uh, collective's unconscious, so I think we're, there, 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 there may be parallelism, parallelisms just like there are eerie coincidences on Earth um, okay. that happen all the time. Um, I mean, the pyramids in, Middle Amer- in uh, Old Mexico versus the pyramids in Egypt. I mean, yeah. Some sort of cultural equilibration was occurring, but mm-hmm. how? Nobody knows. Yeah, how was it done? Yeah. How was it I, done? I, and the, and, the, and the, the pyramids in Mexico were built thousands of years after the pyramids in, in Egypt. Yeah. So we're surrounded by mysteries. I, I basically take that time from, based on, of course, the isotopic work I've done, and also right. the ages of... When, how long did the ocean, how long did Earth-like conditions seem to last on Mars with a liquid ocean, etc.? 
and that right. seems to be about a quarter of a million, quarter of a billion years ago, even okay. before the dinosaurs. We're going to take a commercial break and give our sponsors a chance to identify themselves. And we will return with our panelists talking about the ruins of Mars. We'll be right back. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. We're joined today by a group of experts. Some are scientists, planetary scientists. Others are field researchers. And our topic today is the ruins of Mars and... We're getting an understanding of just the complexity of this discovery. Let's go on to George. George, now it's interesting that you both are uh, in the tens to hundreds of millions of years, uh, mark perhaps billions, which is just mind blowing. But George, uh, off uh, and I have talked and uh, recently, and he has uh, presented this new area, uh, Cerberus. Uh, yes section of Mars. Very, and, and, and very interesting, by the way. Yeah. Now, George, you believe that area is between 50 and 100,000 years, which is more relatable for me just because uh, as a terrestrial Earth person, <laughs> yeah. I can kind of see well, that. So tell um, us a little bit little about Cerberus and why you feel that it's, it's much younger. I guess it's a secondary civilization that may have uh, arised from the ashes of the earlier civilizations. Is that what you feel? Well, that, that's what um, uh, Bill Saunders, my uh, co-author that's done a lot of research with uh, uh, the Sedonia Institute here, of uh, research papers, science papers, in our first two books. Um, okay. And Bill's a uh, geomorphologist, has a, a geology background. Uh, in looking at the, um, the comparisons that we've made with uh, Mesoamerican culture, you know, starting with the face on Mars with its bifurcated human feline look. Um, now, this may sound strange, but, uh, you know, Dr. Brandenburg was just saying that, you know, the, the Mesoamerican pyramids are, you know, built a lot later than the Egyptian pyramids. But if we go to a discovery back in 2000 uh, in Corral, Peru, uh, there's a whole complex down there, and they've dated uh, yes. the whole area uh, to possibly uh, 4,500 years ago. That's, uh, you know, 2500 BC. So that's wow. right up there with the pyramids. And I was not aware of, the, of that. I'm some sorry. of the archaeologists down there have thinking that this may date even to five or six thousand uh, mm. years old. So it's okay. pretty amazing. And 
this is all very similar type of architecture that you find in uh, Mesoamerica, very similar uh, type of constructions. Anyway, but looking at the uh, iconographic aspect of these things that we found, we found a lot of uh, bifurcated faces and uh, animal figurines, pictographic stuff. Um, but this new stuff that we're looking at, that uh, Cerberus here, that region, uh, these are all pyramidal, and they look like uh, things that American Indian, the mound builders would build. They're very very similar to this, uh, this idea of a, a megalithic culture that Dr. Brandenburg talks about existing on Mars. But Bill and I, we think that these structures were built after uh, Dr. Brandenburg's uh, nuclear war on Mars. And uh, this was the uh, surviving culture that built this stuff and eventually came to Earth. And that's what we're seeing there, and that's why a lot of these are so well-preserved. And then Mars eventually just dried up and became a dead planet. And, right. Uh, right. That's just our theory. I mean, we're not going to know anything until we go there, and it seems like nobody's going there to put any feet no, on No, we're going to go there. <laughs> yeah, I'm convinced of it now. But if the listeners are wondering what we're talking about with this uh, Cerberus region of Mars, I invite them, uh, if they have access to a computer, just go uh, type in the Sedoni Institute. Uh, once you get to the Sedoni Institute website, uh, right. go to the uh, toolbar at the top, and it'll, be, it says, it'll say Discussion. Just click on the, the Discussion tab, and you can go to the uh, Sedoni Institute Discussion Board. And uh, when you go to the general board, there's a whole list of topics that are on there. There's the temples in ruin. Uh, there's the, uh, the um, mound builders on Mars is what we're talking about. Just click on that and take a look at those. Uh, if you like to enlarge the images, you, I'm sorry, you have to become a member. Just sign up. It takes you about five minutes while you're listening to the show. And then you can uh, look at the images in, in a larger context. But uh, I invite all the listeners out there to take a look at what we're talking about. Yeah, we'll come back to uh, uh, Cerberus in a second. Uh, I, I want to talk uh, about technology if we can. Mark, I'm interested in kind of getting a sense of your uh, what you believe this early civilization's uh, science technological uh, focus may have been. Uh, is there any way for us to to speculate on what it would take to build these monstrosities, uh, uh, a society with mechanical equipment, a society with some kind of machinery. I mean, uh, you've already given some good ideas that because of the great age, there's no roads, no entrance exits of uh, any uh, visibility, no piles of rubble, no whatever. Uh, I will say this, though, in... Um, uh, a book by Mike Berra, uh, Ancient Aliens on Mars. I don't like that name, but that's the name of the book. He uses uh, European Space Agency photographs to show superstructure and a lot of heavy, heavy, what it looks like girders and beams on the right side of the, of the face on Mars. And uh, it's the first time I had seen that. I think he used thermal imaging or something. But Given that information, what, what do you say about their, uh, their technological uh, prowess, if any? Uh, well, you know, to per let me just put this question into perspective. We don't even know how they built the uh, pyramids in Giza. <laughs> I mean, you, you, turn on, uh, ancient, you turn on ancient aliens or Nat Geo, and they're still making <laughs> programs. They're still trying to figure that out. 
And, yeah. uh, you know, we can, we can go there all the time and people have been studying that for, you know, hundreds of years. Uh, we still don't understand. Um, we still can't wrap our heads around how, um, people with the level of technology of the uh, ancient Egyptians, how they were able to cut, transport, lift, maneuver, position, stack these enormous number of, of granite blocks and then cap it off with limestone. And then, you know, you go in the pyramid and this, the, the design of it is bizarre. Um, yeah. yeah, the interior is amazing. Yeah. It's mind-blowing. And, you know, it's, it's, uh, and it's one of these things, you know, the later constructions in Egypt just n- never really held up, and they're, they're much more degraded and much less impressive than the, than the earliest uh, structures. So, you know, if we're dealing with something on Mars that is vastly older, the mystery is going to be vastly greater. I know this is not answering your question, um, but, uh, you know, it's, it's a level of, of engineering that um, I think probably has to be, you know, far greater than any ancient people on Earth ever possessed. Yeah. Probably more than we possess at, you know, at this point in time. Um, uh, that's arguable, but um, so that's a long-winded answer or long-winded way okay. to say, I don't know. Uh, I, I, I asked it for a number of reasons. Uh, uh, I, I hear that, and I acknowledge that you uh, gracefully say, I don't know. But we know a lot about the atmosphere. We guess that it was thinner than Earth's uh, at a certain time based on geology. And uh, some have speculated, some authors have speculated that if, if the atmosphere is in a, such a, a state, it might have been easier to move massive blocks into place, massive structures, and build on such a megalithic, huge scale. Uh, is that a consideration, John? Uh, I looked at this carefully in the very beginning of the um, Hoagland, you know, the Emmett Independent Mars Investigation Team, and I immediately came to the conclusion, based on just energy requirements, that these things were modified landforms. That, you know, they they took a hill that looked like a face, and they added, they carved it, and they added brick facing to it to resist erosion, make it more permanent. Uh, that's what I think these things are. I think that if you get into the core, if you if you get into the core of the great pyramids, at, you know, at Giza, you find stonework. But if you burrow into these things, you'll finally probably just find just dirt, and. Um, Simply because there's such an enormous scale, even under one third, gra- uh, you know, one forty percent of Earth gravity, which is what's on Mars. Mm-hmm. The the amount, you know, we're looking at the canonical ten thousand men working for, you know, thirty years. Uh, they they could they could remove a bunch of rock and soil and put uh, facing brick uh, down on a object to make a pyramid out of it, and. Um, so, also, uh, George has uh, done some excellent work recently. At the base of the pyramid, there looks like there is a city, the ruins of a city. I found this earlier, and I have it on my webpage, but also uh, lifeonmars.pub. But George has also looked around and found you know, cellular structures, very dense, around the base of the pyramid, 
and I'm sure he has that on his Cydonia incident. You're talking about the D&M pyramid. Yeah, the D&M pyramid. There appears to be a city that may have housed almost a million people there. So this is, in fact, it was quite sad to see this uh, when I okay. first found it, uh, because you, you you look on, here is a ruined city that looks like it would have held as many people as uh, you know San Francisco, and uh, wow. yeah, and it's at the base of the pyramids where you would expect. So that you know, we we were not uh, us investigators were basically not looking fine details like possibly ruined buildings we looked at the big the big stuff and now that the high resolution pictures are there you can see what looks like the eroded remains of a city in fact it reminds me of the mountains of madness by hp lovecraft <laughs> Interesting. which featured five-sided buildings and you know this ruined city down in antarctica in the in his in his short story yeah, George. And uh, uh, this is, is it, uh, so. Yeah, so, so, so George, is it is it um, is it a reason for NASA to just uh, claim uh, uh, or not acknowledge uh, your work and the other work of independent scientists just simply because it just doesn't look like it could be. Uh, uh, the ruins of an ancient city? Is it just too mind-blowing for them to acknowledge that it could be uh, a ruin from an ancient uh, society? Is, it, is, is there something that's going on with JPL and, and NASA? Uh, is, it, is, it, is it something that, that they just cannot acknowledge uh, until they get over there? Or do you think they know and they just can't tell people right now uh, uh, because of the Brookings report and that influence on NASA? Well, I think one of the main problems with the, the NASA scientists, they're scientists, they're geologists, um, they're looking at geology. Uh, I don't think it even comes into their realm of thought that they're going to be looking at anything that might look like ruins. Mm -hmm. And they're just looking at the geology. Um, it's like looking at aerial views of uh, indigenous mounds that are built out in Wisconsin and in Ohio. If you look at aerial views with the grass over them, they just look like little hills and things. There's, they, may be, yeah. they may have some type of uh, alignment and placement and look like a ceremonial uh, complex to you or I, but somebody that's a geologist goes, oh, these are interesting uh, mounds here, and they'll give it some kind of geological term. And as we discussed earlier, they'll go to the, the lengths of uh, any type of geological explanation to go against artificiality before they would even consider that. So mm -hmm. I don't know if it's a real conspiracy that NASA and the, the people working there know about this and they're trying to hide it. Um, I think anybody with an open mind and any kind of artistic background and a knowledge of ancient cultures and looking at some satellite imagery uh, – these thoughts could come to your mind that, hey, this looks artificial here. This is interesting. But I don't think anybody, you know, their their bosses don't want to hear that. Hmm. Uh, but, I mean, uh, Mark, is this, uh, are, are we all mass uh, diluted? Is this uh, just, a, what is it called, pareidolia uh, uh, in action uh, where we want to see something? Uh, or is this actually proven uh, ruins. I mean, I believe there are ruins. I believe this is archaeology. But I mean, a as an example, some of the latest rover imagery 
reveals a horrific event on the surface of the planet where there's machine parts, buildings in disarray, uh, destroyed by a horrible, uh, powerful uh, uh, force, even bits and pieces of what appears to be sculpture. I mean, I mean, what's going on? Okay, so do you, do you remember what it was like before there was Google? Like yes, I do. If, uh, okay, so like, vaguely, you know, you're sitting around, you're sitting around after dinner, and you're, you know, you're talking about something, and there's some disagreement, and you know that disagreement could lead to a discussion or an argument or whatever that could go on all night, right? Because you know you would some yeah. things just uh, you didn't have the means to to determine the the correct answer. Uh, You'd have to go to the library. Yeah, I mean, it was, that's right. And, and you know, at uh, 11 o'clock at night, maybe that wasn't an option. But then, I, and I remember this, the first time I was having, we, after dinner, we were having some discussion uh, at home here. And, and I said, let, you know, let me just Google it. And it was like, it was there. And it was like, mm-hmm. oh, my God. You know, this, it, it kind of puts, a, a, you know, a damper on you know, these lively discussions because now everything <laughs> settled in, in a few seconds. Life is a lot is quite a bit you know more boring now, but um, the reason I um, where I'm going with this is you got um, you got this visionary Elon Musk and SpaceX yes. who is going to Mars. That that is why he's doing everything. That's that's why he's doing Solar City and Tesla and SpaceX and everything. That is that is the grand plan to go to Mars. And all of this, I know it's kind of boring to say, but all of this doesn't really matter. He's going to get there, and uh, people are going to go to these sites, and they're going to find out. And I would love to be, you know, on the team that helps him, helps that those first, those early expeditions go to these likely sites. You know, maybe we need a, a top ten list of possible sites where they can go and, and, and they can <laughs> yeah. check these things out. And that's going to put this whole thing to, to rest. Um, I don't think, I don't really believe that NASA, I mean, they had their chance and I think they're, um, we use a term at work called, you know, we, we say something's OBE, uh, overcome by events. In other words, it's, it doesn't really matter anymore. I think what NASA thinks and the planetary community thinks doesn't really matter if if SpaceX gets to Mars and develops that capability, then it'll be independent explorers that are you know going on these trips and, and expeditions that are are organized and, and um, conducted to go to these sites. And so I think it would be really cool to say you know what are the what are the top ten sites and maybe you know the, this yeah. new one that George discovered that that's pretty compelling and of course there's Sidonia yeah. in the face. This is I think where we should be focusing our energies in the next few years, because stuff is going to start happening. You know, I'm kind of jazzed. I've been watching all this, the new Mars stuff now and, and following SpaceX, uh, yeah. you know, their, their, their work. And it's very, it's a very exciting time to be, to be alive. And, you know, I grew up during Apollo and I was so, you know, after that ended, it was like, ugh, you know, all the air was like let, let out of the balloon, but now yes. it's even a bigger balloon and it's even more exciting. So that's kind of where I'm. That's where my head is at right now. Okay, hey, Mark, John, if I could I'm, ask you a question. Uh, yeah. What do you think of Sarah Parchek's work with the the satellite imagery, finding ruins on the Earth? 
Yeah, that's fascinating stuff. Um, and they found some amazing things that, that, that trigger these, these, these like investigations where people go there and they actually, there's something in, uh, Africa, I think, uh, yeah, no, she's found structures. over three three thousand pyramids and stuff. It's amazing. Have you contacted her yeah. with your early work with Mars, or is she just afraid to talk I, I, to somebody I haven't, like you? No. <laughs> she's at the University no, of Alabama. Not, is she I, the one that's been I, on reported a, on CNN uh, exposing? She's a scientist, right? Yes, she's a yeah, yeah. Uh, I think I've heard about her. Yeah, and she works with yeah. uh, directly with NASA, taking uh, satellite imagery. Wow. Yeah. Well, that's, um, that's great. I mean, that's what, you know, NASA has a lot of, uh, of means to, to do that. But, you know, again, with Mars, I mean, they are sending these probes, but, and they're collecting, I mean, if it wasn't for NASA and JPL and ASU and all these other exactly. um, great organizations, pointed we wouldn't out. be here. But what I'm saying is, and it's not, not I'm not trying to be disrespectful, but, but what I'm saying is we don't have to convince the planetary community anymore. We're, it's the, the movement is far enough along now that, that other independent investigators will, will pick up will pick up the ball, and so we just need to get with them to make sure that they go to these places and check them out. I, I, I like to know before I die. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, it, would, it would be nice yeah. to know, um, John. Yeah. Let me just ask you this, and let's get it out of sure. the way. Uh, uh, as we know, uh, the Brookings Institute uh, report uh, was done in 1961. Jesus Christ. Yep. And uh, many people feel that it's been an, a big uh, uh, factor in a lot of things that the, that NASA oh, does. Oh, absolutely. But part of that was, and, and, and don't quote me on it, I'm just going to spit out what I remember, is that, that perhaps uh, alien archaeology will be found, uh, but uh, it's important not to reveal alien contact because it'll freak people out and the world will come to an end. Uh, yeah. Something like that. Um, why the hell would they, and do you think that they still are uh, uh, abiding by that report as a uh, determining uh, uh, administration? You know, I mean, I well, just, I'm jet, just curious. Jet, jet propulsion maybe, lab maybe, but, you know, the, the, the whole space community, you know, they've got other facilities now. University of Arizona runs some of the space probes, and they're obviously not following the same sheet of music as JPL. Yeah. I was at a conference, and the guy from uh, Arizona just presented nice enhanced pictures of the face and the pyramid. <laughs> and it was just, there was just this shock in the room, like, oh, my yeah. God, he's shown the pictures. and and uh, And then... You know, and he just said, here they are. And it was obvious that this was making the people from JPL, this is a conference in Pasadena, uncomfortable with mm -hmm. him showing this. But uh, I guess I would like to point out, you know, that, you know, Don Acker is one of the unsung heroes of this whole thing. He used to be the editor of UFO magazine. He discovered that Brookings report. And it just was dynamite because it, it said, okay, in the original DNA of NASA is the fact that if you find anything that looks like archaeology on Mars, you cover it up. And, in fact, it says we're expecting to find it, and you, were, you must be prepared to cover it up. This coincides with I talked to a retired JPL fellow um, when I was part of the Clementine mission to the moon, and he was one of the consultants, and he said, when the Mars Observer, the first orbiter of Mars, uh, was getting ready to uh, 
assume orbit around Mars, armed guards suddenly appeared at the photo lab. Hmm. And the the lab management issued a memo saying, uh, pay no attention to these armed guards behind the curtains. They're there to protect us from terrorists. This was in 1969. <laughs> 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 and, and so what happened was, he said, the scuttlebutt around the coffee machine was that they were afraid they were going to take a picture of some pyramids or something like that, and they wanted to make sure that those pictures never left the photo lab. Interesting. And so this, but by the way, the, the, the U.S. government has a much more jaded view of scientists than the public. Uh, they, they, for one thing, they know that scientists are on the payroll and are very grant-dependent. We'll basically tell the government anything it wants to hear if there's money in it. <laughs> but but I'm, I'm sorry. I, I, you know, that's, that's, that's big science. But also, they know also that, you know, Professor Blowhard will always say something is scientifically impossible until it's discovered. <laughs> and, and, and so the government is used to scientists telling them that nuclear power or space travel is impossible until suddenly yeah. it's presented to them. And suddenly Sputnik is orbiting over their head. And so the U.S. government basically was imbued with a Percival Lowell's view of Mars, and it mm-hmm. stuck with them. And they just said there probably is a dead civilization on Mars, and we must be prepared to find it. And so they were. When they found the pyramids of Elysium, you'll notice that you never saw any mention of them or any pictures of them until the Viking. Yeah. And then uh, well, Sagan the face talks on Mars... Sagan pyramids of Elysium, doesn't he? he Sagan that, brought those up. Carl Sagan That's right, and that up. came out in about just after Viking. Yeah. And I'd never seen or heard anything about it before. And then it suddenly popped up in Carl Sagan's work. And then, yeah. and it, it, you know, I happened to have just by coincidence been reading about that, looking at those pictures the night before I saw the face on Mars for the first time. So I'm just saying the government, U.S. government, uh, knows that Mars is too important to be left to Mars scientists, basically. Just like yeah. war is too important to be left to generals. It's, yeah. that's, that's, uh, to paraphrase Winston Churchill, so Mars is too important to be left to Mars scientists. They know that nobody knows what happened on Mars, and it looks like a dead planet. It looks like it was Earth-like at one time. So they yeah. expected to find a civilization, or at least they were certainly prepared for that possibility. And then they found one. Now... Yeah. They are providing us, and, and Mark is very right to point out that without NASA and J Propulsion Lab, we would not have all these images. If they were conducting a real cover-up, they would have just, uh, they would never have sent any more probes to Mars after Viking. Mm-hmm. But they have sent more and more probes, and they, this government has probably got uh, $10 billion worth of spacecrafts either orbiting Mars or roving around on Mars. We are invested. The U.S. government is preparing to make Mars the 51st state, basically. And we are dead set on going to Mars. You know, George, uh, Mark, and I are part of a movement by the human race to make Mars part of the human realm. And we we ourselves uh, know probably... we. We probably know 
more about Mars and why we're going there than people in the government do at this point. Yeah. I, I think that uh, Mark has it right, that the, it, the time is coming. There's independent uh, oh, uh, yes. brains like uh, 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 Musk that's going to go, go out there with, uh, with, their, with their own rockets, with their own technology, and get up there. Well, the government's um, going to make sure it tags along on those expeditions, believe me. <laughs> I was hoping the Chinese would get there and, and get their rovers, because when the Chinese landed their rover on, on the moon... The images that came back, first of all, they were brilliantly uh, uh, vivid. And oh, color, yes, they're brilliant. Beautiful. Before. And I thought to myself, why are we getting such crap uh, from NASA? <laughs> the imagery was so poor. And then here's the Chinese with these brilliant, rich-colored surface features where the, 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 even the uh, soil looked different than what we had gotten back. I'm thinking, why? What, are yeah, cameras, well, you know, what's going on? I know. I, the, 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 there, there was a beautiful picture of the far side of the moon with the Earth in the distance released by the Chinese. I just loved it, and I realized, boy, these people are not playing from the same sea of music as the U.S. government and the entire NATO alliance at all. Yeah, they are playing on it. They're they're singing their own song. Well, and, NASA, NASA had offered their their help with the the Chinese. Oh, I'm they sure they're going to help. What was being released? Uh, that was a pretty interesting story a couple of years ago. They were offering China, you know, all this kind of help and everything. So I guess they didn't take them up on it. No, they no. did not. They, no. the, Chi- the Chinese would love to land on Mars first and discover Cydonia first. That's not going to happen, though. Yeah. Um, based on my understanding and and the fact that we have all this data, I mean, the face on Cydonia is probably the most photographed thing on Mars. At this yeah. point, and and you see it everywhere, and the, the government wants it to come out at this point. In fact, I've done an analysis. If you remember, uh, you say, okay, suppose the U.S. government, for whatever, however method it has available, knows we're not alone in the universe, and decides it has to break this to the public. What is the best way to do it? Well, if you could, if you get a radio broadcast from another star or something like that, this creates a crisis because then there's a debate about who, whether to answer it or not. You remember the movie Contact? Right. Yeah. They created a crisis. Now, finding a dead humanoid civilization that looks primitive on Mars—that's the, the ultimate soft landing for the human race. They're dead. They're primitive. We, we can maintain our sense of being. <laughs> they're millions of years old. There's no millions there of years old. They, did, they didn't have horns on their head or fangs. Yeah. They look like they were. They look like us. It's kind of very validating for the human race. And not only that, um, it still presume it's still it, the human race can then say, well, at least we're still the most technologically advanced people we know of in the universe. <laughs> Yeah, we can still. You got to you got to give hill. human ego its place, yeah. and so this is the ultimate soft landing, and this is why I believe the U.S. government has made a decision that this is coming out. Huh? That's why we're having this. That's why we're having this discussion, and why we have so much data. I found on the pyramid of Elysium, uh, not pyramid of Elysium, the uh, DNM pyramid, a place where there was a what looks like a square area of brickwork has fallen loose, 
and exposed. And sure enough, as soon as I published it in my book, Death on Mars, close-ups of that, um, they went and rephotographed it. They photographed twice. it twice. <laughs> Thank really? you. They, so I have it up on my website. And, uh, oh, and so they, they took really nice pictures of this, and they're obviously investigating it themselves. Oh, by the way, uh, Mark uh, Carlotto was the first person to point out that there was, uh, you know, ornaments on the top of the helmet. He found these in the Viking pictures, and they've been confirmed now with the new pictures. They're eroded, mm. but there's still ornamentation. Yeah. And and what we did were suspected was that there'd be nostrils in the nose, and those are clearly apparent in the 1988, 1998 picture released by uh, Mark. Uh, Mark. And by the way, uh, uh, Golden of NASA, the head of NASA, got that picture on his desk within a few hours. I can I can tell you that. And let's one of the reasons on. that let's, Carl, uh, let's that, move on. I want to I want to uh, talk sure. with Mark a little bit about. Uh, his uh, other discoveries. We talk a great deal about Cydonia, um, but where uh, have you discovered uh, additional sizable archaeology on the surface of, of Mars that you find that's fascinating? Uh, on, on Mars. Okay. So the work I did following... Um, you know, my involvement with Dick Hoagland and, and uh, the initial Mars group um, led me, you know, into collaborations with SPSR. You mentioned um, Society for Planetary Study Research, and there's several dozen uh, researchers, um, some more or less active these days. Um, and I, I got alerted to other formations, mostly in Cydonia, I would say, um, in that same general area. And the Cydonia controversy is really about, not necessarily just about the face and the pyramids, but it's about that sort of general area on Mars that look like, in, based on uh, discoveries after Mars, Global Surveyor got to Mars in the late 90s, early uh, mm-hmm. 2000s, that there was uh, you know, evidence of an ancient sea in that area. Now, uh, you know, more recent discoveries have shown uh, ancient seas or, or uh, lakes, paleo, paleo lakes and other parts of Mars. And, and some of these newer discoveries are, you know, the context is interesting because they're near these paleo lakes, um, which, you know, suggests that uh, maybe they are real because of just based on their location. Um, they're unusual-looking structures, and they're kind of in the right the right location. Um, I would say uh, around that time, early 2000, shortly after Mars Global Surveyor and Themis, I kind of I kind of wrapped up my involvement uh, with Mars. I didn't see much more happening. Uh, I, I saw people discovering other things that were similar, um, more or less compelling, but you know, no, no smoking gun. And um, okay. I actually got involved in some local archaeology projects and actually got experience in doing ground and field work, which, you know, as, a, as an image analyst, uh, someone that worked with satellite photos, I never really had much. So, you know, that kind of helped me with, you know, gave me a better perspective on things. You and, got your shoes you know, dirty, huh? <laughs> I got my shoes dirty. So, 
what I thought where you were gonna, where you're going with this, and I just want to get it in before three o'clock. Um, what kind of got me out of retirement was some folks finding some unusual features on the far side of the moon. And, you know, we're going to be going to the moon probably before Mars. It's easier to get to. And yeah. um, there could be some important strategic reasons to get to the moon. And um, there, you know, using a lot of these same methods, there appear to be structures on the far side uh, in a crater called Paracelsus um, okay. that look very unusual. And they may possibly lead underground. And underground moon is now kind of the you know, the the rage because they're finding these sinkholes where they thought they were craters, but they're actually sinkholes and they're underground. They reveal underground caverns, large underground areas that could be really suitable for habitation. So I know you don't, probably don't want to get too much into this now, but there's maybe a whole show talking about the moon. Really interesting stuff. Anyway, okay. and, and, and these areas, this, you know, the discovery of such things on the moon was also predicted by Sagan in 1960, 61. So it's interesting, interesting. how these things happen. Yeah. Um, I, th- this is a question for all three of you. Um, the, the, the last, well, the current rover on Mars and the one before that, um, opportunity, I think, um, took photographs of various, sections of valleys and um, hills. And I mean, it's, it's constantly shooting photographs. It's a pretty good camera. Yeah. What, what's coming up and has been coming up for the last few years is images of what appears to be with just some basic fine tuning in the, in the actual uh, photographs of the collapsed buildings, uh, 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 machinery, uh, engine parts, and stuff like that. And of course, a lot of this is crap. A lot of this is people looking at rocks and going, "Hey, that looks like a top of an engine." Blah blah blah. But a lot of it, including a couple of sculptures, especially this one of this woman, and I can't remember what part it is. Hey, those are flat out sculptures. I mean, there's just no way you can BS that stuff. Uh, Mark, have you seen any of these photographs uh, that appear? Uh, to show great, great disruption on the surface. I mean, just a a, a, a destructive force that would destroy a planet. And, and of course, John, we'll get into your situation and the the nuclear uh, explosions in a minute. But what do you – do you have any idea about any of that? Have you seen any of those photographs? Well, I don't think I've seen the ones you're you're mentioning now. I I have seen a number of them, and – Back when uh, in the early rover missions, um, you know, Dick Dick Hoagland would you know show these to me, and he'd be going on about towers on the moon and all these other structures. I think I kind of became a persona non grata uh, in his <laughs> eyes when I said, you know, this is these are these are J, these are JPEG you know image compression artifacts. You're looking right. at features that are at the resolution of the sensor and and you have compression algorithms, you know, we all know what compression algorithms do. You look at our TV, our TV picture is compressed. And so, you know, I don't, and so I'm, I'm not giving you the answer you're perhaps you're looking for, but I think uh, I haven't seen anything that isn't, that doesn't have some natural explanation, but that is, that's, but okay. I haven't seen all the pictures you're talking about. So um, I'd be happy to take a look at them, but so far, no, I haven't seen anything that's, uh, that's compelling. 
We're going to take a short commercial break, and we will be right back with you and the discussion on the ruins of Mars. We'll be right back. Yeah, sometimes we'll feel alone In a second I'll be right there Turn around, let it rain Turn around and let it rain on me Don't you be afraid My panelists today each believe the moon has artificiality to it in the form of ruins, and in this case, very, very old archaeological ruins that are apparent to the naked eye. Okay, um, uh, George or John, and I can't remember the name of the location, but there's a very well-documented sculpture of a woman uh, who's standing or sitting up on a platform, looking down into what probably is a uh, was one at one time a garden or something? Do either one of you ref, uh, remember that one or, or have a reference? To um, I guess it, it, it's it betrays my <laughs> the way my mind works. I'm I, I may have seen that picture, but what impressed me was the thing that looks like a circular piece of clockwork. Oh, right. Have you seen that? Uh, yeah, it looks like an eroded or partly fossilized uh, piece of, uh, you know, clockwork or a vat, yeah. you know, like a, somebody said it was like a, fo- uh, you know, a four-sided uh, faucet valve, something mm-hmm. like that. I guess, uh, you know, uh, all I can uh, remember is I haven't seen anything that looks like Kim Kardashian. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> I know, well, <laughs> yeah. anyway, I'm just saying... Yeah. That um, I have seen some of the pictures from the rovers, and some of the stuff does look like wrecked stuff. Uh, the uh, on my website, I have this what we call the Aztec idol that looks like uh, you know just a carved idol sitting out there on the surface of Mars. And yeah. and uh, my my joke about it was that uh, you know I mean I, I'm pretty much focused on the big stuff at Cydonia and a place called Galaxis Chaos. There's another place, Deuteronilus. Right. Pyramids of Elysium. I'm mostly focused on the big stuff, and but if if we're right, of course, and I, I'm absolutely convinced we are now. You're going to find, as George has gone to these other areas and found all this other stuff. It, it's Mars just crawls with archaeology, and it's typical that Murphy's Law would would come into being, where they would send the rover to the place where they would probably hope to avoid taking a picture by accident of some of this stuff and yet they're driving along and by accident they take two images of this aztec idol it's all up on my uh, website lifeonmars.pub and so i i think yes you're going to find all sorts of things what would be fascinating about a study of the woman sculpture is you know if it turns out to be real archaeology it shows that they were extremely humanoid. Yeah, yeah. No, These people quite, didn't just kind human. of look sort of humanoid. They were very yeah. human. Yeah, 
No, okay, it's in my there are cousins, you know. I just, well, I just brought that up. I, I, I have not seen this. It's, uh, it says here, not a hoax, Mars rover photographs, Mayan Aztec head style. It's it's unbelievable. This is not a fake. This is uh, this is pretty. Oh yeah, the 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 the, the, the Aztec idol, yeah. I call it, or that's what I heard. I had it not seen to. that before. Yeah, yeah. check it out. Uh, just right just, just do Google Aztec idol on Mars, yeah. and yeah, I have it right my here. God, what yep. what I had fun entertaining an audience with the meeting afterwards that this somehow got released without no one had noticed it in the picture, and then so, you know. Mm-hmm. We have a million eyes now looking at everything that comes from Mars. This has become a group project. And, exactly. you know, I just imagine the meeting at JPL afterwards and somebody, some manager screaming at his subordinates, who let this out? Exactly. <laughs> who screwed up? Well, that, exactly. that hey, um, head that Dr. Brandenburg is showing, it, it's not very big in the image. I, it's probably no, no more than No, it's foot, not very big in the image. It's, it's something, in fact, you wouldn't even notice unless you were looking carefully. I didn't notice it. Somebody else did. Yeah. Right. And then I, um, I found a second image of the, yeah. of, the fa- of the object, and, you know, it, the teeth, you know, it's got big teeth in it, and the yeah. teeth look human. It looks like a caricature of a human being with big, you know, big uh, flat teeth. Yeah. Looks like and, SpongeBob SquarePants. Yeah, Spongebob Square. Yeah. Hey, George, uh, the planet was fairly heavily populated at, at one time just for you know, this wreckage and this destruction. Yeah, it was heavily uh, populated. But, uh, but, but George, what is uh, – I know you're, you're big on uh, Cerberus right now, but is, is there like uh, uh, some rover images that you found were just very compelling uh, of uh, surface feature uh, or ruins? I mean, I – I have to be, the problem with the, these images is that it's true. You you if you look at one image from one angle, it looks like this, and then if you change the angle, it looks. Oh, wait a minute, and it, and and many times we're getting a two dimensional perspective, and we don't truly know. But some right. of these well, some of these, these images are pretty the, sharp. What, a lot of these areas when the rover's driving by, they they take numerous pictures, like uh, yeah. the uh, Aztec head. There's there's two of those at different angles. So uh, I've got a whole uh, file full of uh, anomalous-looking surface features that the rover has passed by. I can send some to Mark uh, if he'd like to take a look at some of them. Uh, there's yeah. some really strange stuff, and it's it's pretty clear. The, the rover's taken them. Usually they're in the distance. Um, you would think that if they saw them in their in their daily briefings of what they're looking at, they'd say, hey, let's drive the rover over there where that mechanical thing looks like in the background. <laughs> it doesn't look like the four rocks that are sitting next to it. Uh, you know, is it uh, just um, stepped uh, erosion or whatever? But you would think it would cause a curiosity to go over and look at it, but they don't. No, they no. You, by, and then as soon as they find a nice rock that looks like a rock, you know, they'll go over closely and take some pictures of it, and they'll put the tester on there, and they'll do some sniffing of the rock <laughs> to see what it's made of. But if they see one of these pieces that, you know, it's all over the Facebook, there's a lot of groups that do this. A lot of them are over-processed, like uh, Mark says, and it's all pixelated. And yeah, it's yes. but, And yes. the guy I think you're talking about, Cliff, is uh, Alfred Webb, who found this little teeny uh, dark shadowing of a look like a mermaid sitting on a rock. I mean, exactly. it's, it's very, very small. And the media was all over it. It was on CNN News. It was on ABC News. It was yes. on Huffington Post did stories right. a couple yeah. years ago. It was all over the Internet. 
And, you know, I've had a few science papers published, and I've sent them links to the papers and no interest at all. But you, know, yeah. you find a little, find a little blurry picture of something looks like a mermaid, and it's all over the internet, and it's all over the news. But most, yeah. <laughs> I think that's what most intelligent about. people have despaired for the human race as a whole. Yeah, yeah, they, they like George, and you're, you're confronting <laughs> that that they're interested in stuff that they're not. You know, here's the really scientific, the big science, and they're not interested in that. They're interested in something that looks like a little mermaid or something. Exactly, and it got a and, lot of coverage. Uh, yeah, it did. It's uh, like Shakespeare. Yeah, the, the thing that's quite talking about, about the, this the, is that um, I think we've been sensitized to these possibilities simply because of this face on Mars, the simple right. face, the DNM pyramid, and, and any any of the early early pieces of work have been in our consciousness now for a couple of decades, and we want to know. We want to know. And that's why uh, there's hundreds of groups that are spinning off these images from the rover. Uh, and, and there's one site that Mike Barra has in his book where it's literally a whole section on mechanical parts. And he identifies engine parts. He identifies uh, machinery. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and you have to wonder, well, are, are you sure? Well, I mean, he's getting... And processing he consulted images. a diesel mechanic. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's processing these images to the level, probably over-processing, which is something Mark was hinting on could be an issue. And um, I think that's the biggest problem is, you know, here's a, a rover. Yes, it's got a good camera, but who knows what the atmospheric conditions are uh, and, you know, uh, uh, reflections and things like that can take place that really, really... Um, can cause uh, a person to uh, speculate when most of us, if it was on another, if it was on Earth, you'd go like, "Oh, that's just a, a clump of dirt." You know what I mean? So, but well, let's move on. Um, go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. No, I was just. Saying, I, I can predict that someone will do a doctoral thesis on the on the mounds of Cerberus on Mars at some point, uh-huh. and you know, get a professorship because of it. Okay. But, well, that's you know, exactly that's an, where I want to go. That's an area of Mars that's not going to yeah. be investigated initially. You know, it's be Cydonia and Galaxis Chaos and things like this. But still, it's very important. It's all part of the same pic- big picture. Yes. Yes. Now, this is good. I'm glad you 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 touched on that, John, because uh, uh, George has uh, presented some fascinating f- photographs from Cerberus uh, that I have posted on the Facebook page. And perhaps the best image I've seen is uh, a comparison with a um, uh, an Iraqi pyramid, a step pyramid um, that is outstanding. And, and the ruin uh, is shown side by side with the ruin of the step pyramid, this Mars ruin and the step pyramid on Earth. It's indistinguishable. Uh, and I found it was fascinating. George, tell us a little bit about this this uh, this area, Cerberus, and uh, where it's located. Well, the the image you're talking about, the the temple that's compared to the um, uh, Iranian or Sumerian uh, ruin, uh, that's in the uh, thread up on the site called the Temples and Ruin, and that's in uh, Terra uh, Surium. That's that's not in uh, 
the Cerberus region. It's okay. a different uh, region. But I know that's one of your favorite. Uh, I it's mean, great. everybody that looks at that says it's artificial. It's so symmetrical. It's pretty amazing. Uh, anybody out there listening, if you're on the Sedonia Institute discussion board, it, it's in the uh, the temples and ruin section of the, the discussion board there. Just click on that and or just look at the image there that uh, Cliff has put up on his Facebook page for the radio program. And mm-hmm. it basically just shows uh, NASA took this picture back in, I think, 2000. Uh, this was a uh, Mars Global uh, Surveyor image. And they just frame it right down the middle. It's like they knew what they were taking a picture of. They they were focusing on this formation. It wasn't one of these uh, broad, oh. expansive views. I mean, it's just right there, right in the center of the frame. And this Bill, this image looks like a foundation. It's it's pretty amazing. You can see walls and structures. Very mechanical looking. Yeah. Huh. Very sharp edges. Yeah. It's uh, one my, of the best by the way, my, I've seen. Yeah. Go ahead. I was going to mention my joke about uh, the JPL scientists. They're all geologists, and if they saw a lizard on a rock on Mars, <laughs> they would use the robot arm to shoo the lizard away so they could take a better picture of the rock. <laughs> and if you ask them why they did this, they would the, the geologist would say, "The rock will tell me more." <laughs> exactly. Uh, I don't know if Dr. Brandenburg or Mark uh, Carlotto has had a chance to look at the the temples and ruins section, but uh, there's uh, numerous other formations uh, which are all in the same vicinity of each other. They're all surrounding all these these similar temples. Uh, And everything in this temples and rubble section, everything there is symmetrical. It's amazing. I have like six examples. And one of the most amazing things is that these are all just perfectly symmetrical formations that are in drastic uh, uh, ruined. Decay, yeah. They're in pretty bad shape. Yep. Uh, yeah, and uh, again, I'm going to be posting a number of these photographs on the Facebook page. Uh, George has referenced his Cydonia Institute. Tons of great photographs there. Uh, this one photograph we're referring to is just a beauty. It's like, uh, uh, it, it's been degraded to the point where it looks like the early portions of the foundation where they're pouring the, the foundation of a building and it's yeah, the uh, top very has square. Been blown right off. Yeah. Yeah. The top was blown off. Beautiful, beautiful piece of uh, photography. And I, uh, it's like for, a, it should be used for a book cover. Hint, hint. Uh, anyhow, um, and there's, let's there's move on images uh, to reference for this. So it's not just like NASA would say a trick of light. We have confirmation yeah. in three different images of this area. Yeah. So it's pretty, they pretty exciting back. place to look. I think you're right. I think they did go back and re-image that section because it's, it, those are outstanding photographs. Um, Mark, uh, in your book, The Cydonia Controversy, you uh, speculate a great deal on, on the uh, uh, beans that were there, and you use a term called exoarchaeology. Can you explain what you believe exoarchaeology is? Well, I don't think it, it. I don't think it. It. It isn't anything right now. But if these um, these uh, this phenomenon that we're seeing on Mars, these um, these structures and artifacts turn out to be real, then suddenly there's a new field, and that's what it is. It's uh, it's really the study of extraterrestrial archaeology or exoarchaeology, uh, archaeology beyond our planet. Um, it's, you know, like I said earlier, it's the second data point. Right now, we have a very anthropomorphic sort of way of looking at everything. Everything is in terms of man, but if we start 
you know, if you have another civilization we encounter and they're humanoid, well, hmm, that makes it interesting. Or, uh, but if they're completely different, you know, that's, these will all be, um, uh, you know, it's the next step that we'll take as a, as a multi-planetary species, if that's in fact what we're to become. So that's, that's what it could be. But right now, okay. I think a lot of it's speculation. I don't think you want to get too carried away with it because it, it is, I mean, again, I'm, you know, I, you probably gather I'm a little bit more conservative than, than others. And, and you know, I, I'm not going to stick my neck out. I have to have some sort of factual basis. And, mm-hmm. you know, we're not quite there yet, but we could be in a few years. Okay. But let me ask you this. Uh, this term, exo-archaeology, which you refer to as alien archaeology, would yeah. you, uh, do you believe there's any reference of it here on Earth that you would consider alien archaeology? <laughs> uh, privately, I think it, you know, anything on this planet that we can't explain uh, is, a, is, a, is a candidate. Um, okay. Uh, you know, and there's, there's many examples of that, uh, you know. Okay, well, that, uh, that's why I want to ask you, you because it, 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 the problem, it's not a problem, but it is a little bit for my program, Earth Ancients. We, I do my best to steer away from ancient alien theorists, um, uh, uh, even though uh, there is great evidence for uh, very, very advanced science in a lot of construction and buildings and things, but... I'd be, be curious if you, uh, you know, you got a chance to do some digs and things like that. If you had a, a, an idea, if you looked at a, a structure that was very odd, if you would categorize it, you know, and maybe you feel like you can't say it, but an exo-archaeological site, what would you say? Is there any examples of that? On, on Earth? From yeah. What, from from yeah from you know from uh, I mean I haven't actually been there but I think uh, uh, Tiwanaku is a is a really good example I mean there you know there are uh, um, it's not granite I forget the kind of stone it is it's very hard and it appears uh, the best theories are that it was molten these 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 shapes were were cast uh, mm. the mel- the rock was melted that defies any technology. Uh, even probably even by today's standards, I think uh, it's, there's no explanation for it. So when you can't explain explain it based on the indigenous civilization or technology, mm-hmm. I think by default that leads to uh, an exo or ex- extraterrestrial, uh, an external, uh, you know, explanation. Interesting. Yeah, Teotihuacan is a monstrosity and. Uh, uh, up close, the pyramid of the sun is is in a state of of uh, of decay, but it it still was reproduced or uh, uh, excavated in such a way that the the foundation of the structure is in place, and it's a monstrosity. It's huge. So, yeah, I can see that. Um, <clears throat> uh, I, I I just say that for the reason that I have a belief. And it's just my belief, based on on my understanding of Greek history and Roman history, that they felt very, uh, a very a great kinship for Mars, and that we, in some respects, and we, there's no way of knowing it, our morphology, our ancestral past may have come from another planet, and it is a, my feeling is it may have come from Mars, but 
total speculation. Uh, we're not at a level of sophistication where we can look at our DNA, uh, and there's no way of, of, of capturing a uh, uh, an alien body that we know about from Mars and comparing our DNA and comparing our, our cellular structure. But um, there's something about Mars that has fascinated Earthlings for for centuries, for thousands of years. And so uh, when you say exoarchaeology, uh, I just I just find, uh, and, and I'll also lead to this, and, and there's been a number, and Hoagland, Hoagland features this, there's been a number of images that are pyramidal shaped, and we have pyramids on the Earth. Uh, there's a couple of different sphinx uh, uh, objects, one that's massive, uh, I can't remember what the area is, Obviously, we have an example of the Sphinx in Egypt. Uh, so, again, this is speculation, but there's a tremendous amount of similarities in, in our two planets. That makes uh, it, it quite interesting to consider. So, You know, I'd just like to comment on, um, on this. And, you know, you, you, re- you made mention of the Greeks and, you know, our fascination with Mars. Now, a lot of what the Greeks knew, they co-opted from the East, uh, from Sumerians and, you know, the Eastern traditions, Eastern cosmology talks about time scales, uh, the yugas that are uh, millions and, you know, millions and millions of years, and they count, you know, even the Mayans, you know, their long count, they deal, they deal in extremely long frames of time. Yes. Um, this, this suggests that perhaps our Western view is much more myopic, that we think only in terms of, you know, the rise of, you know, modern man, quote unquote, in, in, in Western Europe. Uh, and then, you know, that, and that was the beginning. And then everything else is, you know, has, has sort of followed from that and kind of a monotonic, you know, uh, um, evolution or, or um, development. But, you know, the Eastern um, traditions talk about time frames that are much, much longer and these are time frames not with dinosaurs and primitive life forms, but with, with uh, you know, beings, intelligent, conscious, uh, you know, spiritual beings, if you will. So, right. you know, what do we make of that? I mean, all this is, uh, I like to think this is all one equation and, you know, everything, all the terms have to balance out. All this, you know, the truth has to sort of take all this into account. So I, that's why I think the stuff on Mars is, is really old. And I think... There's a lot of stuff on Earth that's not explained in terms of our development as a as a technological society. Perhaps it was yeah. an earlier, um, uh, you know, a pre uh, antediluvian um, pre flood civilization. There's you know a lot of people love to speculate about that, and that's a yeah. tradition all over the planet. All you know, uh, tens, of hundreds of, of of cultures speak of of flood or flood like events. And, uh, you know, Mars was ravaged by floods, right? There's all these signs of massive uh, water erosion that occurred. And, you know, so, I don't know, so much we don't know. I think that's exciting. I don't don't want to say, yes, this is the way it is, because we don't have even close to, uh, I mean, we have, like I said earlier, one data point. So let's, let's hold off judgment for a while, collect some more data. Let's get to Mars. We really need to get there. I agree. <laughs> we got to have those feet on the ground. We got to get up Absolutely. there. Absolutely. Um, I, I, it's funny because I, I am so disappointed with NASA, and I was so uh, 
uh, gratified with this uh, European Space Agency's uh, 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 camera on their satellite. The photos were just wonderful, and so many authors use those rich photographs, not only of Cydonia, but other regions of, of the planet. And uh, it just, it was just, to me, it was almost like a slap in, in NASA's face. Well, if you're going to restrict us from uh, seeing the good stuff, the Europeans are going to take some photographs, and now the Chinese are going <laughs> to be over there. And and I, I'm I'm encouraging. I mean, it's really tough to land a rover on any planet, but the Chinese are going to attempt it, you know. And hey, more power to them. If if NASA's not going to come up and uh, and uh, reveal what what's there, you know, hey, somebody else is going to do it. So of course right. I'm, a, I'm an American, so I'm hoping we you know they do come clean and, and show us what what we need to see, what we want to see, but. I want it to be in my lifetime. <laughs> well, NASA works much better when there's a competition out there, like Russia at one time. But, you know, then we were the only one doing the uh, research. So they kind of uh, had complete control until recent times with true. India and, you know, Very Japan true. and China. So, yeah, right. We'll see what happens. Well, listen, we're getting down to our we're getting down to our program. I want to touch on a couple of things. John, I want to talk with you. Uh, yeah. In our last conversation here, we, we talked about your discovery of uh, two nuclear uh, weapons were uh, in their explosion over the surface of the planet. Basically, basically, basically we have nuclear weapons signature on Mars. Yeah, you have signature. Massive nuclear now, weapons Now, in, in the beginning signature. of the program, you mentioned you had uh, some new information on the isotopes. Why don't you go ahead and present that? If you yeah, there, there are two big isotopic anomalies on Mars. One is the Xenon-129 anomaly, which sticks out like a sore thumb. Everywhere else in the solar system and every reservoir that we're aware of, of like meteorites and things like solar wind, etc., the Xenon-129 to 132 abundance ratio is roughly one. On Mars, it's two and a half, Xenon-129 is two and a half times uh, what it is, what the, the the amount of 132. So it sticks out like a sore thumb. And people have tried to explain this by saying, well, iodine-129 decayed and Mars lost its early atmosphere. But th- that would have to mean that Mars' new atmosphere was very thin, like it is now from early times. And that's ridiculous. Mars obviously had a very dense, thick atmosphere. The only sources for Mars' atmosphere are either the Mars basement rocks or meteorites or comets, and we've now been able to get the xenon-129, 132 ratio for all of those things, and they're all one. So something obviously very strange happened on Mars. The other thing that sticks out like a sore thumb on Mars is uh, the nitrogen, 14 versus 15, Normally, nitrogen-14 is the most abundant element, most abundant isotope in our atmosphere, and it's also most abundant in the Martian atmosphere. But there's about 50% more nitrogen-15 on Mars. And the only process they know of that can do that is uh, solar wind fractionation, breaking up nitrogen molecules. That would create nitrates on Mars. Nitrates, so many nitrates that would cover Mars to the depth of several feet. And they found just only traces of nitrates. So the Xenon-129 the, the Xenon is an enormous uh, anomaly on Mars. Now the, the Nitrogen-15 is an enormous anomaly also, and it turns out when you set off a nuclear weapon, 
the neutrons combine with the nitrogen in the air, the nitrogen-14, and they release a gamma ray when they do that. So one of the deadly aspects of a nuclear weapon going off is that the air actually becomes a radiator of gamma rays because of absorbing these neutrons from the bomb, and it makes a bunch of nitrogen-15. So the two big anomalies on Mars are actually explained by this uh, nuclear weapon hypothesis, and nothing else. I mean, they don't have any other natural phenomena that can explain this. And so uh, that's a recent, uh, the, the nitrogen-15 result is a recent result, um, and you can read about it in a book called The Effect of Nuclear Weapons. Uh, you'll find out that a lot of the gamma rays from a nuclear weapon are actually created in the atmosphere by nitrogen uh, combining with neutrons. So okay. and w- we found John, that what out is the, now. B- what is yes. the basis of, um, uh, uh, what, based on your understanding of weaponry the, and the decay rate of these isotopes, when would, are the, when would are the, the, um, the bombs have been uh, well, exploded? The, the iodine-129 is stable, and so is nitrogen-15. So once they form, they hang around for a long time. The isotopes that we're using to basically date what happened on Mars Mm -hmm. are um, uh, potassium-40, which decays into argon-40. There's a big, if you look at the characteristic gamma rays from uh, potassium-40, there's a big hot spot on Mars near Cydonia and another one near a place called uh, Galaxis Chaos. It's also called Utopia. And archaeologists have found at both sides. There's another face at uh, at uh, Galaxis Chaos, and right. so that has a long, long life. It's like uh, a billion years, half life. Oh, so it has a very long memory. Now, what's interesting is we don't find this course. We find the corresponding hot spot in thorium, which also has a very long half life, but we don't find it in the shorter lived. Uh, isotopes such as iron, which has a you know like a couple million years. So basically, all of that radioactive stuff has decayed already. What's only left is the very long-lived isotopes, and this indicates what happened on Mars, which looks like it was a massive nuclear attack from space. Because the weapons apparently blew off, blew up in midair. They created, covered thousands of miles of Mars, square miles of Mars with, with glass called Trinitite. Yeah. And filled the atmosphere with that, and they re-irradiated the surface rocks. So some of the Mars meteorites look like they've been in a nuclear reactor. So all of this happened, however, it looks like probably half a billion to a quarter billion years ago. It was a okay. long time ago. Whoever oh did this God. is long yeah. gone. Thank yeah. God. It, it, that's just amazing to hear that. And uh, uh, these isotopes now, are the signatures of, the, of this of this weapon. So, right. so that's, now, that's, that's also very point, interesting. I want to point out also, based on my own analysis of the ruins on Mars, it looks like it was a primitive Bronze Age civilization. I mean, that's mm-hmm. based on an Earth reference. Yeah, the things that things that we find on Mars that are similar to on Earth were made by primitive Bronze Age or early late Stone Age civilizations. So mm-hmm. I don't know what the 
technological level on Mars of the civilization was, but it looks primitive. This means yeah. it looks like somebody else came along and dropped two enormous hydrogen bombs on Mars, as big as the Empire State Building, and then left after destroying. Yeah. They wanted to destroy Mars utterly so it would never hold life again. It, it's Amazing. possible some things survived, and thousands of years later, a, a, civiliz- a primitive civilization rose again. But it doesn't yeah. look like it. It looks like it was destroyed basically in a day. Wow. And that's a you know, tragic thing. It is tragic, and it's scary. It's scary to think of. Uh, and we've talked about this before. It's just, you know, the, the, the sight of a, of a ruined planet is, is disgusting, and it's... Uh, it's upsetting. I don't think we, we consider the ramifications. Um, no. Gentlemen, it's been a pleasure having you on the program. George Haas of the uh, Sedonia Institute, uh, Dr. Thanks, Mark Carlotto. Mark, I, I hope to have you on again sometime in the future. You should and, have Mark uh, on again. And, uh, <laughs> you should have uh, Mark on again. <laughs> <laughs> and, John, it's always a pleasure having you on. Uh we could talk Thank about you. this forever. We could go on for four hours, six hours. We could go and I could do multiple it's a, programs. It's a great honor to be on your show, and especially with my distinguished colleagues. Uh, I'm very proud of my association with them. Same yes. right? I agree. Here, yeah, here. Right. <laughs> you guys have it was done a very great good work. Discussion. Thanks, uh, gentlemen, for coming on with Cliff. I appreciate it. And um, uh, before I leave, I want to make sure that everyone uh, gives out their websites if you have them. Uh, we have uh, George Haas, the uh, director at the Cydonia Institute. Uh, you can go to the CydoniaInstitute.com. He has great photographs. I'll be posting a few on my Facebook page, but George has a nice catalog of, of some, some recent work that I would suggest you go to. Um, Dr. John, uh, what's, what's your website again, John? Uh, it's just called Life on Mars, one word, lifeonmars.pub, like an English pub. Right. Yeah, and you're and, fairly good uh, about updating the book. Also, there's the book the poems, uh, so. Death on Mars. Right. Perfect. Uh, and Mark, do you have a website? I do. It's, it's called it's Carlotto C A R L O T T O dot U S. And there's a bunch of stuff. I'm kind of all over the place, but there are links okay. to Mars and to books and other projects. Okay, great. Okay, so there you go. You got all three um, websites. I will be posting some more information. From this show, uh, The Ruins of Mars. Gentlemen, thank you. Have a great holiday, and uh, we'll be in touch. You too, Thanks, Cliff. You too. Thanks a lot, Cliff. Bye bye. That was fun. That was fun to listen to. You know, lots of my listeners are like, Cliff, you're out of your brain. And it's hard, and I think scary for a lot of people to even consider that there could be alien ruins on another planet, a nearby planet, a planet that we visit with our uh, satellites and our rovers on a fairly regular basis and and are currently performing scientific experiments and uh, planning a manned mission, possible multiple manned missions. So that's that's it, though. I mean, once there's... Boots on the ground. And, you know, that's another thing to think about. Once boots are on the ground, they can't cover it up anymore. Well, I, I take that back. Uh, if they landed in an area or a crater 
that is miles away from any of these ruins or Cydonia, they could get away with not identifying any of this uh, these artificial ruins. They they could bypass it for for a while, but eventually it would be discovered. You know, I mean, the orbiter, uh, a new satellite, possibly a new rover, or it could be European Space Agency sends a rover, or the Chinese send a rover. <laughs> the, the Chinese have been threatening, and they still may do, uh, put a rover on Mars, which would be, I don't know. I only can hope, you know, I can only hope. But I've seen enough evidence I've been I've been uh, crossing my fingers that they would just come out with it because it would ease us into first contact with actual physical beings. If we knew there was an alien race on the planet Mars, I think it would be easier for us once we knew that and we had a few years or more to digest that and to understand that we're not the only beings in 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 our uh, cosmos. I think it would ease. Uh, physical contact with another race of beings on our planet. Now, there's no way of knowing, you know, there's no way of knowing what's going to happen. But I've said this many times before I leave and exit this lifetime, I love to have the knowledge that extraterrestrial beings have come and visited. Now, people like, Dr. A.V. Loeb, he's he's like very proactive. He's like scouring the bottom of Pacific Ocean for bits and pieces of a probe he believes burned up in our atmosphere. And I guess once we when we talk with him that the analysis that comes back from the particles, the bits and pieces that he picks up from the ocean are going to prove that you know, whatever it was, was not from Earth. And how he proves that is that the bits and pieces, the the uh, tiny droplets of metal or whatever it is, are going to be from an exotic compound, you know, a, uh, a, a an unidentifiable metal or or composition of metals that are not from Earth. You know, that, w- that would be his... Uh, way of proving it. I think that his ability to use the satellite array would help him find another probe passing through our cosmos. And, he, you know, he, with a heads up, he can really identify it ahead of time. The Omaomaua uh, object, he only caught the tail end of that. And even though it was a probe, according to him, we didn't get we didn't get uh, our sensors up and running soon enough. You know, wouldn't it have been great to be able to take a really good picture of that probe? Uh, and rather than uh, theories, it would be like black and white. So we have people that are you know are very very transparent. They're few, unfortunately, because once you agree to work with NASA or Space Command, you are forced to sign a non-disclosure. Look what's happening to our friend Marion Rednick, the astronomer at NASA. His life's ruined 
because he said, look, I saw UFOs in my neighborhood. I, I've seen more than one. Well, you're screwed, buddy. <laughs> We're going to come after you. You're not supposed to divulge anything. You're supposed to keep it quiet. We don't want the general public to know about these things, even though they're in our face. There's uh, reportedly been, you know, tens of thousands of them uh, seen over the continental U.S. for the last five years. Uh, who knows how many have landed? Who knows if any beans have come out and said hello? Who knows what cover-ups are going on? This has gotten out of hand. It's really gotten out of hand. We have got to be told what is happening. We are not the only ones in our cosmos or our universe. I think our our, uh, our off-world brethren are at a point where, you know, it's like, okay, you guys, you, you got to know you're not the only ones here. You know, I have to admit, it's kind of chilling. It's kind of a nerve-wracking. And yes, there's a little fear of who these guys look like. And I mean, I don't know. <laughs> but we, I want this to happen. I, I, and maybe part of me is like, okay, and I say this a lot. As soon as we have a form of contact, we are changed, irreparably changed, and forced to evolve. Does it mean, what does that mean? Well, we're not the only ones here. We're not the only beings here. And wouldn't it be great if we connected with a, a race of beings who said, look, we've been around for millions of years. And by the way, this planet, this planet, this planet, and these planets are all inhabited. And by the way, the science is this many years ahead of yours. And by the way, this is what Earth looked like then. I think, I think, oh my God, just off the top of my head, it could cause a lot of problems. <laughs> and so, you know, I mean, you know, if if we were told that there have been many, many Earth epics, well, there are archaeologists, you know, have a cow. Our historians have a cow. Our, our religious uh, theologians have a cow. Who cares? Who cares? Maybe it, maybe it forces us to restart, you know? Who knows? I think it's all good. Keep an open mind. Keep an open mind. That's all I'm suggesting. Hey, Earth Ancients, Destiny, Earth Ancients, Special Edition, The Archives. We're all about touring. We want to see these ancient places. Each year we go to Egypt, the Grand Egyptian Tour. Come out with us. The price is right. It's half of what normally is charged. Less than 5000 for 12 days of VIP treatment. You are treated like a diplomat. May 2nd through the 14th, 2023. For more information, go to earthancients.com forward slash tours. We also got a great tour coming up in Mexico. It's our Maya of Tabasco and uh, Chiapas tour. November 10th through the 17th, we all meet in Verahamosa, land of the Olmec. And that is seven days of an amazing view. I haven't been down that part of Mexico, so I'm looking forward to it too. 
That one is a real beauty as well with, with Dr. Edwin Barnhard. That's a good one to check out. For more information, earthancients.com forward slash tours. Tours, tours, tours. These are wonderful. They are fun. They are eye-opening. And they are very, very impressive because we see what the ancients once how the ancients once lived, and that's really, really important. So come out and join us, earthancients.com forward slash tours. All right, that's it for this edition of Earth Ancients, special edition the archives. Thank you to my guests. That's Dr. John Brandenburg, Dr. Mark Carlotto, and George Haas from the Cydonia Institute. Thank you. As always, the team of Ruth Thomas, Mark Foster, and everyone who makes this thing happen. Thank you all. All right, take care, be well, and we will talk to you next time.